Hey everyone, welcome to Almost Cancelled. I am Peter and I'm going to be talking about The Handmaid's Tale Season 3, Episode 12. It is called Sacrifice. So, full spoilers for the episodes, as always. So, first thing you'll notice is that I'm on my own. There's no Connor. That's because Connor has been sick this week and we didn't want to delay the episode review any longer. Didn't want to fall too far behind. So, I'm here on my own to talk about this episode. And what a big episode it is. Uh, some big beats in this one. Really big few scenes that really stick out as being kind of pivotal in the season as a whole. It feels like a lot of the season's been building to a few of these. And... You know, we start the episode with June, she's got the got the gun and she's kind of like essentially just playing with it and, you know, putting the clip in and out and kind of pointing it around and um, kind of toying with the idea that she is ready to start, you know, being this person. She's ready to start just outright fighting for her life and killing people. And obviously there's an irony to that because she did kill someone last episode and... Funnily enough, she kills someone again this episode. We actually have a two-episode kill streak now for June. Uh, so we'll find out in the finale if it becomes a hat trick, if we get this uh, this streak gets to keep going. But she is asked downstairs to help with uh, help with the Marthas and takes in, finds out that the plane thing's been arranged, that the guys ex- agreed to do it, and she takes the the tea and whatnot into the the room with the with Lawrence and the other commanders and they're talking about the fact that there's a crisis they want to um you know take action maybe launch an attack whatever because there's two commanders missing and they know that Waterford has been has been taken and they suspect that Winslow has done the same although we know different of course um but yeah they're, they're kind of panicking and you know Lawrence might be getting his, his clearance back because they're kind of running out of high-level high commanders that they want to give power to, and so on. Um, so, and she doesn't quite get to hear the whole story during this first part of the scene, but after they leave, um, and she asks what was going on, um, she finds out that, that Fred and Serena have been taken out of custody uh, in Canada, and they're being tried for war crimes, or at least we, I mean, obviously I suspected last episode that it was only going to be Fred, uh, which does turn out to be the case, but at least from their perspective, they think both will be, and June, June's reaction to this, like, I, I think uh, Mossy's acting uh, during this scene is, is really fantastic, the the way she's kind of holding back, just bursting into, like, a smile and, and tears of joy and, and laughter is, is really good, uh, she's kind of holding it in the entire time, uh, and it's really well done. So, but then he asks, okay, what about the plane? And she's like, oh, it's set for one week today. And he's like, okay, great. And, you know, he he, he has this great line as he's leaving the scene where he's like, because one of the other things that he tells her, of course, is that they believe, uh, as I said, that Winslow has went missing. They don't think that someone's murdered him. And because of that, you know, he walks out the scene and says, hey, you know, the, we're about to save 52 kids. Uh, you know, Serena and Fred have been, have been captured by Canadians, uh, and you got away with murder. All in all, not a bad morning. So yeah, she ends up having a good happy cry <laughs> on one of the one of the couches. She's she's elated, and you do feel kind of happy for it. It feels like we're getting this happy ending, which for me in Handmaid's Tale means that something bad is going to happen very soon, and it does. It is a, certainly a bad thing, although it's definitely a slightly different twist to a bad thing than I was expecting later in this episode with June, who 
Of course, uh, very very soon after this, we have a scene where she escorts uh, Mrs. Lawrence into the sitting room where Winslow's wife um, and uh, Mrs. Putnam are sitting there. And it's basically just kind of a little meet and greet where they're, they're talking about uh, her missing husband and they're, they're praying for him to come home and, and so on and so on. And what really plays in this scene, though, is this scene got really scary very quickly because uh, Eleanor starts to say things that are very suspicious. When Mrs. Winslow starts to talk about, oh, what if he never comes back? I have all these kids. They won't let me keep them. They won't let me be a single mother. That's not how, you know, Gilead works. They, they, she's scared. And that's when Eleanor shouts out, oh, we can take them with us. Uh, we, we can we can save them. And of course, the, like, Lawrence kind of plays it off. as like, yes, 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 they'll be welcome here. You know, mi casa, su casa. And... But every, you know, every single line she says, and they're trying their best, like he's trying his best to cover for it and make it sound like it's okay, make it sound like she's just a little bit out of it, but what she's saying is not, you know, escaping from Gilead treason or anything like that. And June's glances across to him, like, absolutely mortifying. Like, I, I, I got so much suspense out of this scene. And you feel bad for Eleanor, because Eleanor's a very likable character and she means well, but she's, she's clearly... Uh, a risk and that is something that plays into the rest of the episode we have another scene where june has to like stop her from leaving the house because she's insisting on going down the street to someone else's house to say that she can take their kids out of gilead and she obviously can't do this and june has to like drag her away from the door uh eleanor at several points says she's going to go back to the school and she's going to try and save all the children and june has to all essentially pin her against the wall kind of forcefully and make it very clear that you cannot do this, and gets very stern with her. And I think it's interesting this dynamic dynamic in this scene because Lawrence is standing there. And he does say that's enough, and he does kind of, but he doesn't step in and pull her away. He doesn't. He understands that what's happening with his wife is very dangerous. And as much as he doesn't want Jun uh, roughing her up or anything like that, he he very much is a lot more hands off in the context of this scene than I would ever imagined him being, especially like back in the start of the season when, you know, when June first moved in. You would have never, never expected him to be as relaxed in this scene. Uh, relaxed is not the right word, but he definitely holds back more than, than I would have thought. Uh, so, no, I mean, the tensions are high, and I, I was really feeling it, especially in the scene with the, the other wives. Like, when, when they were sitting there and she's saying these things, like, holy crap, is she going to out them? Is she, is she going to, like, get them all killed? And it's funny because we get to the other big scene with June, because it really is like four or five scenes with June that are really big in this episode. I mean, there is a scene, actually, I should mention before we get to the next big one, uh, there was a scene in the supermarket after she got the good news about the <laughs> about the Waterfords. Uh, she goes to the supermarket and she's talking to Alma and then runs into Rita, who's back in town. And this is a really sweet scene. And I think what's really neat about this episode is that it knows that it's going to hit you with a gut punch and it's going to make you kind of dislike June later on. So it gives you all these happy kind of endings for her and it gives you this really sweet interaction with Rita where Rita, like, they kind of bond over the news about the Waterfords and, like, they're kind of joking about it. And then Rita reveals she knows about the plan for the kids and she wants to help and she's like, this was your idea. When did you become such a boss? And it feels really genuine and they even have this moment where they kind of sneakily hold hands. Um... I also, I wonder if I can read into the imagery a little bit in this scene because uh, they're talking like, you know, over the counter uh, where potatoes are uh, on in the supermarket, but 
uh, there's like a there's like a top row above this counter that's just got apples lined up, and I want I wonder if there is some you know intentional imagery here uh, with the Garden of Eden and apples and the idea that June is um, about to take something she's not supposed to. Uh, I don't really have much further depth in, into that thought. It was just, I really noticed the apples in this scene that were kind of in a row between them. It felt very prominent in the frame, and I don't think it was an accident. I feel like that was a very intentional set dressing choice. So, but the other big scene, of course, is that June goes to give Eleanor her, her lunch, and she comes into the room and finds her to be overdosed on pills. She finds a, you know, a, a bottle of pills that's been emptied, essentially, and she won't wake up. And so here's here's the funny thing, right? So all season we we have been or not all season, but we've been kind of predicting recently that maybe June will uh, not June, sorry. We'll, we've been predicting that that maybe Lawrence will die uh, at the end of the season, and he will kind of have like a, a redemptive sacrifice that will get his wife out. We never predicted that it would actually be Eleanor who died. Now he still may die, of course, so he may still have that moment, but we didn't expect Eleanor to die, and. The other funny thing about this scene, uh, not that it's a funny scene in of itself, but the funny thing, uh, you know, from a meta level, is that way back at the start of the season, they made a Breaking Bad reference, and we kind of joked a little bit about that, and we talked about how, okay, like, I get what they're saying here about her kind of taking power this season, and why that kind of relates to Walter White's character journey, and we said... But I don't necessarily expect her to become as unlikable or as, as, as villainous as Walter White did. And what's funny is that this this scene kind of puts her in that place to a point. She's still more sympathetic than Walter White because she's been driven to this by the world around her and we, we sympathise why she's become this. But she does something thoroughly unlikable in this scene. And the funny part about it is that it's a scene from Breaking Bad. This is literally a scene from Breaking Bad. And as soon as she found her on the bed and she stops to make the choice to not save her because she's going to do it, you know, she's trying to wake her up. She's like, you know, Eleanor, wake up, wake up. And she's going to the door and she turns, she just stops, she freezes. And you can see it going through her head. The acting here is really good. You can see it in Mossy's head, what she's thinking. She's thinking, Eleanor is the danger. She could ruin everything and this is an easy way out. If I let her die, our plan is safer and she's no longer going to be a liability. And what makes this truly hurt, uh, you know, beyond just what she's doing, is that Eleanor, A, we like Eleanor, generally speaking as an audience, because she she's actually been a very sympathetic character who, who cares about people and doesn't like Gilead, doesn't want to be in Gilead. And on top of that, her and June have kind of had a, had a bit of a bond. Like Eleanor, I think it may have even been this episode, where she says, you're always so good to me. Um, as June's helping her, they're, they're, she you know she has genuinely been helping her throughout the season, and they do have this connection. So for June to talk, because you know it's one thing, because I, I don't want to spoil the scene in Breaking Bad, but it's one thing for Walter to make the choice that he does in that with the person he makes that choice with, who he's not as close to or connected with. This is someone who is maybe a bit more personally connected to June, uh, in the context of this show, and. That makes it sting. It makes it sting in a way where she she's not just making this choice to let someone die. She's making this choice for someone she knows is a good person and someone that she she likes um, and has a bond with. And that makes it hurt a lot more. And I think this scene is very well handled in terms of its execution. Uh, you know, because June doesn't leave immediately. She she kind of like goes to other parts of the room and kind of 
thinks it over again. Like she thinks about it multiple times. She's kind of like pacing around and stops in various locations, and then ultimately makes the choice to take the dinner tray, uh, sit it outside the door like she's supposed to do. And uh, you know that was always the original order: is you're supposed to leave the tray outside. And June's kind of overstepped that over time, and she goes back to her own room and waits. I mean, we get this this time lapse where we see the the daylight come out. Um, uh, so it wasn't lunch; it was probably dinner. But it's same, you know, you know, the same difference. Um, and she gets up. Uh, you know, she she hears the screams from one of the Marthas finding her, and yeah, we, you know, she she let Eleanor die, and it's kind of heartbreaking. And it's funny because I think there's a critique to be had here that it is just the same scene from Breaking Bad. Like, and I'm I don't know how intentional that is. I don't know if they are they are legitimately riffing off of that, or if it's just it's hard to believe it's a coincidence it really is because it is so similar so i would critique it maybe for that and that maybe takes me at the moment a little bit because it is so similar to another show's big scene that it had uh, a very very similar point in the, the the show i think uh no it was maybe in the season two it was maybe earlier but um but i think the execution of the scene and i think the the choice that june is making contextually makes a lot of sense and all the pieces in place for her to make that choice and make it feel like a not a betrayal of the character it's just a turn for the character that's dark and makes us like her less you know she is thoroughly unlikable in the final scenes of this episode but it does present us with this choice that makes sense it's a dark choice it's a choice that's not pleasant but we understand why she's making it and the execution, I think, is pretty strong. So uh, it's a shame Connor's not here for this one because I feel like he'd have thoughts on this. But I, I do think the execution is solid, even if the fact that it is just a scene from Breaking Bad does make me pause for a second and go, hmm, this is this is Breaking Bad. <laughs> this is a scene from Breaking Bad. So, yeah. But that aside, the execution is really, really, really well done. And, you know, we have, we, we kind of cut, cut ahead and there's the, the sort of the service uh, in the house, they're preparing the food and June, you know, after talking to the Martyrs, has this one-on-one with Lawrence, who is distraught. Uh, we find out, because one of, the, one of the things that happens throughout the episode is that they actually want to close the borders, which would mean that the plane, the cargo plane that comes in and out wouldn't be coming. And June's like, you know, you have to keep the border open. Uh here we find out from Lawrence that they have agreed to keep it open because it's hard to argue with someone who's mourning, even for them, as he puts it. And he is very distraught and he blames himself. He's like, you know, I sent her to her room and I never went to check on her. And June doesn't admit to what she did, of course, but does jump in with, hey, don't do that to yourself. I could have went in the room. I could have checked on her. And is a real sting for that for her character there in that moment where she's essentially poking at the very thing that she actually did she's poking at the truth to try and make him feel she can't tell him the actual truth because he's not going to react well to that naturally he, he's he's going to the plan is gone he he might try and kill her right there on the spot if he he finds that out but her having to deal with this again the acting is great you know when he walks out after you know after this conversation she's left standing there like she kind of like you know she has to fight back the tears again it's there is genuine guilt that is the one thing for her here that that works in terms of us still not hating her completely is that she does have guilt about this this was not an easy choice and the the other thing that makes this i think work in the context of the season this choice that she made 
is that the very start of this season, the first couple of episodes, it was all about her making tough choices to win this fight. It was about her, you know, sacrificing, you know, it was Lawrence himself who said, no, you have to pick like six of these people to save and the rest are going to the colonies. You can't have them all. You have to make that tough choice. And this is a, an example of her making a tough choice to try and win the fight here at the end of the season. So I, th- I think in that sense, it works really well. And I think the performance is great as she has to fight back her guilt, her tears as she's talking to him. All of this stuff is really good. Um, and I do like, for the most part, the, the actual uh, funeral scene, uh, which is the final scene of the episode. You've, you've got uh, Aunt Lydia there, you've got all these other, all the other, other wives, you've got some commanders there. And June's the only handmaid and she's in black, which I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten they wore black at funerals. I, I genuinely had forgotten that. Um, and then it was, so that was like a nice thing, a, re- a visual reminder at, at the end of this episode. And when everyone leaves, and June's supposed to leave as well, she s- says to Aunt Lydia, Can, "May I be excused?" And Lydia understands, says, "Yes, you may, you know, spend more time at the grave." And she goes up to Lawrence and says, "Would you like to be alone?" And when he doesn't say anything, she stands by his side and brings her hands out front uh, and clasps them just like he has. Um, in this kind of, you know, sign of equality, sign of mutual grieving. Um, and they share this look. And the music here is really good as well, uh, which I, I loved. The, the emotion is, is playing throughout. And, you know, I think the performance from both actors here as they're looking at each other, you know, there's, there's one long shot of each face sort of looking back at each other with tears in their eyes. And it plays really well it, it almost feels like in that moment they're saying no we still have to do this to for her honor to get the kids out um i for a brief second i thought he might have been like suspecting something in his eyes and uh, i'm not convinced that was the case though i mean people might disagree people might think no he is suspecting that she did something wrong that she's in some way uh, responsible but i'm not sure why he wouldn't necessarily um but he you know he he looks back at the the grave and June looks down as well. And again, the acting's here is phenomenal. The one complaint I have to make about this funeral scene at the end is the very final moment, the very final shot, because I kind of hate it. <laughs> I hate that we get this creepy close-up of June's eyes, and it looks like she's smiling. We don't see her mouth, of course, but it looks like she's doing an evil smile. And, you know, it, I remember Connor having problems with the evil smile back at the end of episode three or four, or whatever that was earlier this season. Maybe no, I think it was later actually. I think it was when they got all the uh, all the muffins. Oh, what I say. No, maybe it was earlier. I can't remember. But you, you remember this scene? There was a scene earlier on in the kitchen where the camera came in and she did this evil smile, uh, and, it, and it was a final shot of an episode. This felt like they were doing a close up version of that on just her eyes, and we were getting the the music kind of turned evil, and we got this evil glare from her. And that's where the episode ended. And I have to say, I don't like this final moment. I don't think the episode needs it. Um, this idea that she is being an evil mastermind with all this. Like, I like that she made the choice and that she she went through with this. She made the difficult choice. And she's becoming someone different, which is obviously something that's talked about in the other subplot, which we'll talk about. But I do think this is overplaying it. I think this is this is just like the, the angel wings behind her in the episode in Washington um it's just one of those over-the-top moments that i think just takes me out of the episode and just feels like the director's going hey look at what we can do look at look at this dramatic moment um as opposed to it feeling natural for for the scene and i think that final shot sucks and the and everything that goes with it the, the music that goes with it sucks as well like all of it 
all of that final final 10 seconds or whatever it is uh sucks so uh, so I hate to have one big downer here then. And I do think, again, there's some nitpicks to be had. I think the scene being so similar to Breaking Bad is a problem, but it's handled so well. It makes so much sense for the characters that um, for the most part it comes out on top, where I'm kind of just into the, the what the characters are going through and the drama of it. So the other plot, uh, the other main plot of this episode is, is, of, is of course Serena and Fred and as me and Connor both uh, predicted last week, she made a deal and handed him over, which she reveals to him. And this because he he's like, I'm going to I'm going to give them whatever they want. I'll make a deal so that you don't have to be in prison. Like he's he's being as selfless as we know Fred to be, <laughs> or could ever be, I suppose. Uh, but um, she she reveals she or she just has a simple line where she says, "You just do whatever right for you. Don't you worry. You don't have to worry about me." And it becomes clear in this moment, as they're sort of close and embracing, that she has made a deal and that she will not be treated the way he is, that she is going to have freedom. And there's a really great subtle thing here where, where his hand turns from a caress on the side of her neck to a strangle. And you, you, you honestly don't know that, I mean, obviously I expected guards to rush in if he did try and kill her, but it felt like he might. And he says things like, you know, I pity any child that has you for a mother. Um, it's always about what you want. He, you know, he get he lashes out uh, because of what she's done, and he's in shock. Uh, so it's it's a it's a really powerful scene, and I think there's a lot of stuff with this Fred and Serena stuff in this episode where you kind of get some catharsis, sorry, catharsis um, for how they're treated, not to each other necessarily, but by other people. Because of course, Luke and Moira come by to this this uh, holding facility, and I say holding facility because the rooms are actually quite nice. <laughs> like it doesn't look like a jail cell; it looks like a hotel room. And the uh, you know they're not happy to be there, uh, but they're and they're getting going through all the security, and there's this irony of them having to be you know the Waterfords having to be protected from anyone else visiting them, so they have to be protected from from Moira and, and Luke. And as me and Connor did did suggest, uh, we have this idea where Serena's allowed visits with the, with Nicole, uh, not full weekends as we as we guessed. Uh, it was uh, just one hour a week, uh, supervised with a social worker, and you know we get we get a meeting between Moira and Serena, and there's a lot of little moments here that are just really really good. Serena like almost putting her hair up again before they come in, and then realizing she can let it down saying blessed day to the social worker and then realizing she doesn't have to say that and saying hello just little things like that are really good and obviously there's a real you know dark times there's a scene later on where she's given pizza and a stack of newspapers and some articles to read and it's like why does she get this food and obviously she's given them water food that's why but in the, in the sense in the sense of like you know karma like why does she deserve to have this freedom when there's so many people still suffering because of her you know in part because of her and you know we, we know how awful she is but there is some moments of like yes and and this and it's it's moira it's moira like saying you know because serena doesn't know who she is serena's like hello pleased to meet you and moira without missing a beat is like i'm june's friend and i don't care what you've done or why you're here it doesn't change the fact that you held her down so that your husband could rape her. And, you know, uh, uh, Mark, the the American who's been dealing with Serena, kind of steps in and says, that's not called for it. He tries to kind of, like, calm the tensions um, and put, take Moira out. But Moira does get a few more licks in before she leaves. She, she makes it clear that, that 
that Fred raped her too at the whorehouse at Jezebel's, which Serena presumably did not know about. Uh, makes that very clear. Makes it clear that she is not Nicole's mother, that it's June's child, and all all these little and then calls her a gender traitor uh, as she leaves the, the the room and makes it very clear that you know you will never be considered a friend. You will never be considered welcome. That this is something we do because we're been told to do it and because the government insists upon it. Like we are never going to accept you here. Um, as as one of you know one of us essentially is was one of uh, Canada's people. I mean, I don't know how famous these people are. Like, I don't know if people will recognize her on the street and treat her like shit, uh, or if like it's only going to be like the people who are closely related to the story who'll know and always treat her like shit. But you know that that was the vibe that that Moira was giving. So. It's a really fantastic scene for, for to see Serena just dragged down a peg or two. And then there's another moment from the, the social worker afterwards where Serena says to the baby, you know, the baby's crying, Nicole's crying, and, you know, the social worker's trying to make her feel better. So, oh, it's just, you know, you're a stranger to her right now. It's just, you know, she'll get used to you. That's fine. Don't don't worry about it. But then Serena says, uh, mommy's here. You know, it's, it's mommy, Nicole. And the social worker says, you can't use that word. You can't use terms like that, it'll confuse her. You're not allowed to refer to yourself as her mother. It's just not on. And it's just this it's just this harsh reality for her that she's not even getting to be the mother that she wanted to be. That she she's she's, you know, bet betrays a strong word because she's been having doubts for a while, but she's turned on her husband and done you know, to the point where she she even says to, to Mark, Mark comes in and says, You don't have to worry about him anymore. You don't have to care about him. And Serena's, he's my husband. You know, she still cares. And it it's a really interesting dynamic in that sense. Uh, even though he's probably never really going to want to, like, really care about her. I mean, he does to a point, I'm sure. And maybe he'll calm down. Maybe they'll meet again and have more, more visits and stuff. But probably, they probably will. Because I, I imagine there'll be some scenes to, to mine out of that potential. But, yeah, it really really slap across the face harsh reality slap repeatedly during this scene even at the, the, the clock there's a timer like as soon as she's in the room with nicole the clock starts ticking 24 style dun, 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 dun. they should have almost had that come up on the screen for a laugh I'm, I'm kidding but so and likewise luke asked to see fred and is fred's choice to let him in or not and fred says yeah let him in <laughs> let's have a chat and Luke comes in with this this folder, this journal that he's kept of uh, stuff. I mean, it's hard to... We don't get to see it exactly. Maybe stuff that he knows about Fred. Maybe stuff that he knows about Gilead. It's hard to say. But Luke comes in with the intentions of wanting to have a serious conversation and say, you know, I, I grew up like you, a man of faith, but you destroy lives, uh, lives and I don't. And I'm happy you're going to have to live in here and knowing your wife betrayed you all this time. Like, you're going to have to live with that. And Fred turns it around on him and says, what about your wife? You know, the, the, you know, you believe she'll come back to you. Maybe she will, but Gilead's changed her. I've changed her. And it's just, it's this petty little power play. He he just wants to prove that he's more powerful in the scene. And that's all this is. That, this is the, this is the closest he can get to measuring his dick with him. And he wants to do it. He wants to rub it in because that's all he has now. He's he's because he knows he's probably not going back home. He's not going back to Gilead. So this is like, and you know we've talked in the past on this show about the the motivation for for the the men that do what they do in Gilead, and, and to an extent, you know, obviously 
by extension the real world is this this idea of power this idea of being in power and wanting to stay in power that's why the rich are desperate to stay the richest and don't want everyone else to have any sense of equality because they want to feel that they're still the most powerful uh, that's boiling it down to the simplest possible thing but that that is at its root kind of what we've been talking about a lot in this show since the start very start and i think this is him scraping for one last little bit of feeling of power he gets to get this reaction out of luke he evokes this reaction and obviously the guard has to stay in the room and then he drags luke away it's a, it's a really again even though even though he does obviously get luke dragged out and it feels like from fred's point of view he has won a little bit it feels so good for luke to punch him that punch like that punch has been coming for a while and it felt good it felt so good so no it was a lot i would go as far as say this is a great episode with one major problem at the very end the very final shot i hate and some nitpicks as to it feeling a bit a bit breaking bad and uh, for that one big scene that one big decision even though i think the decision makes a lot of sense for the show and the characters and as far as the direction goes i think it was mostly well directed and executed throughout the episode my complaint would obviously be the last scene the last shot even that i mentioned i'd also argue that maybe the opening with june and the gun was maybe a little overdone but not not like a huge deal like nothing compared to the ending nothing compared to the wings you know the angel wings and all that stuff but just yeah so i do think i do genuinely think this show has has had a solid little run here in the back half of the season it's just a shame that it had that lull of about three or four episodes in the middle where it really came to a grinding halt and felt like it was spinning its wheels it felt like we didn't get a whole lot out of that middle batch and hopefully that's something they can prove upon next season hopefully next season uh changes the things up enough that uh it can't possibly feel like it's spinning its wheels at any point but to to be fairly like, i i like the first few episodes of the season really liked these last few episodes really liked it's just that middle chunk and even the best of this season has not been as good as season one season one is a phenomenal season of tv and had, had that quality stayed as consistent uh as, as it could have even though i liked a lot of season two and i've liked a good chunk of season three i think obviously it's been less consistent this season especially has been less consistent and because of that since i'm comparing it to breaking bad i feel like if it wanted to be in the competition with breaking bad it would have to have stayed kept as consistent as season one because i, th- I think for me breaking bad did and um, Bre- breaking bad is one of the best shows ever made and i think hamid's tale in season one i thought could be up there uh these these two seasons though have kind of brought it down a tier or two where it's a really great show it has a lot of great things in it but it is it does have these these uh messier parts that uh do drag it down a little bit but hey uh that has been episode 12 we have the season finale next week uh looking forward to that and connor should be back to talk about the finale uh, assuming he watches this one and is caught up for next week but he should be uh, but he he is ill he has been ill all week he's, he's still re- he's starting to record one or two things here or there but it's having to be very limited so uh, and in future i think this will be a thing where if if for some reason he can't make it and instead of pushing things to a ridiculous late period and this is already a little bit later than i'd like uh i'll i'll, I'll fly solo and hopefully you still get a, enough uh, uh interesting analysis and discussion out of me on my own uh for this to be worthwhile so hopefully uh uh, we had a nice chat about this so 
yeah, let me know what you think of, of uh, Hammy's Tale Episode 12 in the comments below. Like and subscribe, all that stuff. You can get us on the Twitters at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates. If you want to support the show and the channel and everything we do here, you can head over to patreon.com slash mailedfuzztv where you can support us for as little as $1 per month and get some bonuses, extras, exclusives, all that kind of thing. Uh, so you can do that. Uh, you can also rate the podcast app on your podcast app, like the audio version of it. You can give us five stars, give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to them. And it's worth mentioning, this is not the only podcast feed we have. Even for TV shows, we have a Netflix reviews feed. Uh, if you just search Mailflix TV or if you go to the Patreon page, there's a nice list of all the feeds. You can find all the Netflix shows we do on that feed. And there's also movie review podcasts and things like that that we do as well. So if you go over to Patreon, you get a nice handy list of everything. Or on the YouTube page, of course, has a, has all our content. So uh, have a look. Uh, otherwise, though, that is, that is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. I always appreciate it. Keep watching TV, guys. Have you got any vanilla? Mm-hmm.